Morning, everyone. It is exciting to be with you again. And uh, we trust that you've had a great week. We're past halfway through the year. We had that freezing cold, uh, what was it, week last week or something. So I'm so happy that the sun is out. And uh, we're already, for the people who love Christmas, I mean, we're on the run into Christmas, you know, so you can get planning your Christmas carols and start playing it in your, uh, in your house. You know, they're those people who it's Christmas to Christmas. So uh, I hope you are enjoying that. And we've really, as uh, as a church have been so challenged going through the book of Romans. So if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, we've been going through Romans. We're going to have a few breaks as we, as we go, but it's been exciting to just dive into a book with such depth, with such wholeness. It speaks about the whole belief set of Christ followers in all its entirety. It's one of the, the greatest books of that kind. And so it's just a privilege to be going through it. And uh, for those of you who um, have children, I wonder how often you've heard those famous words on a trip, on a journey somewhere, are we there yet? Now, mine, we have that, you know, quite often. And uh, I, I think my parents had it a huge amount, particularly in the days when we drove to South Africa. And uh, I think sometimes sort of an hour into the trip when we were younger, we would be sort of saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and the, the, it would go on. And and sometimes they would be kind at the start and sometimes with our girls when they're asking you know we might be kind at the start you know it's okay we've done half an hour how long's half an hour well it's about like this time and then in the end you just go do you know what you're not allowed to ask any more questions about are we there yet you can see the numbers and you see the numbers going down every time you see the sign but you cannot ask if we are there yet and obviously if you have a baby now the part of advice that I, I did want to give some people who've got babies on trips and stuff is the way that they ask that question is by screaming from their car chair. That's how they ask the question, are we there yet? They obviously can't speak yet, so it's not their fault. Um, they're just inquisitive to know, but the only way they can get your attention is to scream at the top of their lungs because they, they don't know English yet. And so um, if you do have a baby, just understand, that's just them saying, are we there yet? You know, you mustn't be upset with them. And if you haven't had children as well, you would have been the one asking these questions. And so why, why do we ask that? Why do children ask that? What, what brings about that question if we go deeper? Well, it's really this growing desperation that I'm in a place of discomfort. I'm either sitting in a car chair or I'm sitting in the car. I can't stretch my legs. I, it's the same kind of scenery all around me. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit car sick. I want to have a change. I want to get to the destination that I'm excited about. But it just hasn't happened yet. And so we, we sense this. We feel this. That's what our kids are feeling on this journey as they're getting towards the destination. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, in a sense, has been telling us for the past six weeks or so that we've been covering it. In a sense, he's been driving uh, the car of Romans, as it were. And uh, we've been asking him in the, from the back seat the whole time, Paul, are we there yet? We don't like what's happening around us. This is quite uncomfortable. This is quite frustrating. It really doesn't look that nice around us. When are we getting to this beautiful destination that you're telling us we, we think is on the horizon? When are we getting to this beautiful place? And the whole time he's been saying, the good place hasn't arrived yet. The good news hasn't arrived. Don't worry, it's coming, but it's not here yet. The great news is, is that today we effectively arrive at the start of our destination where we get to explore all that's there. We've just been on this long trip. We've been getting frustrated. Are we there? Are we there? And just right now, we get to, in a sense, climb out of the car and just start to gaze upon this new destination that we find. It's about to arrive. You see, we 
have been separated from God. We were separated from God because of sin in our lives. We can't solve the problem of sin on our own by doing better, by keeping rules and regulations. We need someone to step into our world who's perfect, to take on our imperfections, to clear our name before the great judge. And that's what we're going to find out about today. So we're going to dive in. It's time to jump out of the car and explore. The painful, frustrating questions of, are we there yet, are now going to be answered. So let's pray. We'll dive in. Father, thank you that you've taken us on this uh, frustrating sort of back of the car seat, waiting for the holiday to start six weeks as we go through the book of Romans. Thank you that uh, you have shown us our need. You've shown us the, the discomfort. You've shown us the struggles. You've shown us that there's something better to come. And I pray as we open up, as we explore, as we start to gaze on your solutions, on your plan, Father, would we ultimately see you? Would we ultimately experience the wonder of, of, of you reaching down into our world? And so wherever we are on the journey of faith, would you help us in that right now? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to go to uh, Romans 3. We're at the end of uh, Romans 3 from verse 21. We're going to be reading 21 to 31. And so I would love you to turn across that. And if not, it's going to be on the screen. So, so don't stress about that at all. This is what it says. Uh, verse 21 and 22, I'll, I'll start from there. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And I just love that phrase right at the start, but. Usually in scripture, many other times in scripture, but usually means that something great is to follow. This is the situation, but this is to come. And so this but is hugely significant in Romans because it's about to send us in a new trajectory. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. We can be made right with God. We can be made right. Whenever we talk about righteousness, um, you just sort of imagine the right there. It's the essence of being right, the essence of being perfect, the essence of being true. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we get to take on the rightness of God. Not by doing, but by receiving. We've spoken about this often in the past few weeks, about the difference between Christ followers and any other world faiths. And it's the difference of doing, trying to earn God's favor, other faiths. Christian faith, God has done something, which we'll find out about today, and we can never earn His favor. We can never earn acceptance by what we do. And this, as it says there, um, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, this is what all the law, and the law is talking about Old Testament scripture. So it's talking about, as we look at it now, those written before Christ came. So the law, how to live, um, and we, we see that uh, Exodus and uh, sorry Leviticus, and it moves on from there. And then it says the law and the prophets. We also have the prophetic books, people who were speaking things God was saying to them about things that would come to pass. And so it's saying here, it's saying the law, Old Testament scripture, plus the prophetic books were talking about this very day. They were telling us this day was going to come where we could be made right with God. They were pointing to the Messiah. And this is how incredible Scripture is, how incredible God's Word is, is that as you read through it from start to, um, to finish, you see these incredible um, prophecies, prophetic words coming to pass in Christ. 
There's so many writings about the fact um, of how much money Jesus would have been betrayed for, the way that he would die, uh, where he would be born. And just written hundreds of years before, and there just can't be coincidence in all of those things. So those are prophetic words of this Messiah coming. Then we see these different types of Christ. When I say type of Christ, what do we mean by that? It's sort of people who, although they were normal people, in some ways they are a, a, a smaller version of Jesus, or it's a picture of Jesus, you know. So uh, examples of that uh, could be, as, as we think about it, um, and, and pictures of this. In some senses, you have Abraham and Isaac, right? And you've got um, Isaac going up towards, some of you might have heard the story. If you haven't, uh, that's okay. But you've got the story of God saying to Abraham to, uh, to sacrifice his son. And so they, they, they go up onto a hill as well and uh, getting ready for the sacrifice. And then at the last moment, uh, they, sort of a, a ram is seen in the thicket and sacrificed instead. But you could read that as a story. But as you look through it, you see this greater picture of the father God walking with his son up a hill, almost Golgotha to the cross to be sacrificed. And where there was a ram that was in the place of uh, Isaac on the altar there for Jesus, there was there was no other option. He was the option for us. And so that's a type of Christ. It's someone, Isaac, almost fulfilling that. We see this as we go through Scripture. And so the, the point is we have this crimson line that runs from Genesis to Revelation of seeing Jesus through it all. The law and the prophets bear witness to this. All of Scripture says Jesus. He was there before the foundation of the world. He's coming uh, in person, that's what they said, and he came in person. He has come, he was with us on earth. He left and headed to heaven, and he is returning. It all points to Christ. Often people have asked me, I want to explore faith, and where do I start exploring faith? What should I do? And I get confused about uh, evolutionary uh, language and, and what happened, creation versus evolution. I get confused about the end of the world. I get confused about the spiritual realm. There seems to be these conflicting arguments. Where do I start? And I always say, you start with Jesus. Because if Jesus was who he said he was, then everything else falls into place. And so you can look at all these different things you aren't sure of, but if you're sure on Jesus, actually you can accept and believe and be confident in everything else. And so if you're here and you're thinking about faith, I'd challenge you and I'd say, start with him. Was he who he said he was? Was he God or just a man? Did he die and rise again? Case for Christ, a great book, great movie on that, but many others, the Alpha Course speaks so much into that. But, but start with Christ and the rest unfolds on the back of that. Life is about him. Life is found in him alone. We all desperately need him. And if you're here today and exploring faith, you need him today. You need him. You may be searching in different areas. Maybe it's, um, it's success. Maybe it's through your children and their education and how well they do. Uh, maybe it's in, in holidays or, or, or pursuits. But I want to say you're never going to fill that hole. You will never fill the space created for you. And sure, we could try and delay it. Uh, if we have more resources, we can delay it for longer. But, but I, I want to challenge you that maybe as you sit at night and you wonder, is there something else? Just explore. Just open your heart. And I have no doubt God will show himself to you. And it says, obviously there, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. How are we made right? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. How is the price of our mess paid for? How do we get right with God? It's so simple. It says there, through faith in Jesus Christ. And faith is placing your trust in something or someone other than yourself 
for the outcome you desire. I'll say that again. Faith is placing your trust in something or someone other than yourself. You could place it in yourself, but a lot of the time we talk about faith, it's in, it's in something else for the outcome you desire. So let's look at some examples. In bungee jumping, done it a few times, or at least the gorge swing at Vic Falls. In bungee jumping, you place your trust in a cord. Yes, the instructors, but in a cord or a safety harness to experience the thrill of a free fall without dying. And so your outcome is this amazing thrill of a free fall. Obviously, there was that one lady who, who, who it snapped on, uh, the, the main one. Thankfully, that didn't happen when I did it. But you place your trust in this cord and safety measures. And why do you do it? Why do you place your trust? Because you want to experience a thrill. In a business venture, you place your faith in strategy and personal gifting and someone else's gifting and funding that you have in opportunity. You place your trust in something in order to see profit and growth. So you, you, you exercise faith in that. A surgeon, you have to have an operation done. You place your faith in a surgeon to experience freedom from pain or a repaired body part. So it's someone you believe will be able to give you the desired outcome for a problem that you have. And so when it comes to faith in Christ, what do we do? We're putting our faith in Him. Because our problem is that we have sin in our lives, we have separation from God, we read these promises in Scripture, and so we place our trust in Him to be able to solve that problem. Why? What's the benefit? So we can have a relationship with Him now and life with Him for all eternity. That's what faith is. We place our trust. Notice here, it says, uh, righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. I want you to know it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter what you're involved in right now. We all have an opportunity to come to faith, all of us. It's an open door from God. No one is disqualified. Christ died for all. And so if you're feeling unworthy, feeling that you're just too much of a mess, you've done too much for God to accept, no, He died for all. He died for you. He died for all. It says there, if we go a little bit further, uh, it says, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Big words, don't worry, even for me they're big. I didn't like English. To be received by faith. What I love is this is such a clear passage in terms of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to have your life changed by Jesus. So I'm going to break it down for a bit and it's, it's, so, it's so clear when we see it. So first one it says there, but there's no distinction. Paul's been talking about Jewish people who might have thought that they were uh, a little bit in better standing than Gentile people, and he, he's, he's uh, Gentile people being people not Jewish, and so he, he's been talking about the fact that no, we're all the same in standing before God, and so he says, for there is no distinction. So first thing, we're all in the same boat. It's what Paul's been sharing on all of us. It doesn't matter our wealth bracket, doesn't matter our age, doesn't matter the color of our skin, doesn't matter anything, our, our academia and our brains, we're in the same place when it comes to our need of God. Second one, we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the perfect God. We shared on this last week, but no matter what we do, no matter how our imperfect person tries, we will never reach a perfect standard. Impossible in our own strength. So all of us, all of us are in the same boat there. Number three, it says, fall short of the glory of God um, and are justified by His grace as a gift. He's a perfect judge. A judge can justify. 
So he's a perfect judge who requires us to pay the sentence for our sin. And justified means to be declared not guilty. It means that the judge says you are no longer guilty. That's the, the simple of it. But why are we declared not, not guilty? If we have sin and mess in our lives, if God's perfect, if he can't be in the presence of our mess, what makes him say it's actually okay? The price of your sin is paid for. What does that? Well, because of his love, he offers to make the payment on our behalf. He offers to make it on our behalf. Uh, imagine a story where there's a judge and uh, it, he's, he's obviously presiding over the courtroom and uh, on the list next up is one of his very close friends. And so the friend walks in and the, the accusation is that maybe the friend's been involved in, in fraud or, um, or sort of theft or something else like that, but he has a huge fine to pay. Well, so he, he's got the problem, right? Now the judge looks through and he knows it's his best friend, but he looks through and he knows that according to the law, this is the fine. This is the fine for what the person has done. So he passes down the judgment and he says, because of what you've done, yes, you're my friend, because of what you've done, this is your sentence. This is the fine that you have to pay. Done. Case closed. And then he gets off from his seat and he walks around and he takes out the fine and he gives it to his friend and he says, but I'm paying it for you. Do you see how justice and love work hand in hand? He's just, so the sentence for our sin must be passed down and paid for. But because of his love, he gets down from his place as a judge. He gets into our world where we are and he says, you can't pay this. You don't have the resources to pay it. I can, so I'm going to pay on your behalf. Beautiful picture, right? Not in all its fullness, but it is a beautiful picture of God and how he does that. What else do we get from that? It says we're justified by his grace. Grace is a gift. And it says the um, grace as a gift. It's a gift and it means we can't earn it. Again, what we've shared before, we can't earn God's favor. We can't somehow be good enough for him. Grace means unmerited favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. And that's just beautiful. It's something so special we can receive. By, grace, um, by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. What does this gift do? This gift, this payment that Jesus pays. This gift pulls us out of the grip of sin and it redeems us. It makes us new. It buys us back. It's really interesting actually, this word redemption that is over there. It refers back to the blood that was put on the doors of Israelites during the Passover. Some of you may, may know the stories or not. There's been some mainstream movies to some extent made about it. Uh, there was Prince of Egypt. There was another one I think called Exodus. And basically what happened is, is the Israelite people were in captivity to the Egyptians. And God raised up Moses. And uh, Moses, he said, listen, Moses, I'm, I'm going to do some stuff to get my people out of Egypt. And so there's different plagues that got put upon the Pharaoh. And eventually... The final thing that God said is he said, listen, I'm going to pass over, which is where the word Passover comes from. The angel of death is going to pass over all the households in Egypt. And if you kill a lamb, and that interestingly enough is uh, it's, it's showing us about the ultimate lamb, lamb again. I told you how all of scripture points towards Jesus. You're going to take the blood of a lamb and you're going to put it on your doorposts, much like Jesus's blood was, was pasted on the cross. And when the angel of death comes over, when the judge comes over, when he sees that you've got this blood over your household, you will be protected, but there'll be death for everyone else. And this word redemption 
actually comes out of that story. It comes out of the fact that you will be saved. The cost, the death that would have come to your household doesn't come to your household. Why? Because the, the angel of death passes over. And that's where this word redemption refers back to the blood of the Passover lamb, where the Israelite people were set free from the power of the Egyptians. Just as much as we are set free from the power of sin, because God's justice, which would be death, passes over us. Because as he passes over us, he sees the blood of Christ spread across our lives if we've asked him into our heart. That's how we brought back. Jesus' redemption is greater than the lamb. He was the ultimate lamb. It was to say of this, it says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The gift that we receive is Jesus Christ. And he purchased us back by his blood shed on the cross. It says there, as a propitiation. It's quite a big word, but effectively it encompasses a satisfaction. It satisfied God's wrath for sin. God can't be in the presence of sin. He hates it. He hates sin because it destroys our lives. He hates sin because all that the enemy wants to do is keep us away from a life of fullness in God. So he hates sin. He has wrath towards sin. Not towards people. He loves people. Towards the sin and brokenness that outworks in our lives. And so this payment from Jesus, it satisfied the wrath of God. His wrath was poured out on Christ on the cross so that it's not poured out on us. It was poured out on His own Son. It satisfies God's wrath for our sin. So it's a payment for our sin. And so this meant that God's holiness as the perfect judge was never compromised in forgiving sinful people. It wasn't swept under the carpet. He remained perfectly holy, perfectly just, but perfectly loving at exactly the same time. God's justice and His love collide at the cross of Christ. It's where the two meet face to face at the cross of Christ. And that final one says over here, to be received by faith. This gift can only be received, as we said earlier, by faith, by placing our trust in someone, Jesus, for an outcome, life with Him and freedom from sin. That's the wonder of the gospel. It's what makes the Christian faith unique to any other. It's the power of God in action to save us. We carry on. It says, This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here we have this picture of God, in a sense, looking forward to the cross of Christ. God knows everything. He's in control of everything. We 100% believe in that. But in a sense, the way that he set up Old Testament scripture is like what I shared with you before with prophecies, with, um, with, with, with all this crimson thread of Jesus' blood through scripture. He's almost setting up the fact that, that, guys, just hold on. Christ is coming. Wait, Jesus is coming. I've got a plan to save everyone. See, people's questions could have said, well, it kind of looks like you don't really care that much about the sin of the world, God, because if we look at the mess of people's lives in Old Testament Scripture, we look at the wreckage, kind of just feels like God doesn't really care that much about it. But the reality is, is He's waiting patiently, and He was waiting for all to be revealed by Christ on the cross. And there's many actually sort of symbolic pictures of this. Uh, one of them are Exodus uh, 32. Verse 11, I must just read it here. It's, it's so interesting. Um, this is what it says. And it was at the time where the Israelite people, if we went back just one or two pages, um, some of you may have known the story of the golden calf. 
So in, Moses had gone and he was spending time with God and the people started to worship and they wanted to worship something else. So they built this idol instead of following God. And on the back of that, on the back of the mess of people's lives, uh, Exodus 32 verse 11, it says, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring as stars of the heaven, and all this land that I've promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And then verse 14, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And so we see this picture of God saying, in a sense, I'm going to kind of over, not overlook their sin. He never overlooks sin. But it was almost him saying, just wait, the cross is coming. Just wait, my wrath is being held back because it's going to be poured out on my, sin, uh, on, uh, on my son for the sin that he's going to take on to set people free. So special. Last little bit and we pray. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, and of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Paul doubles down as we close off on what he's been sharing the past few, past few chapters. We've been doing it over the past few weeks on how we can all receive this by faith alone. It doesn't matter your education status, doesn't matter if you feel that you are religious, you tick the boxes, I, I go to church, I, there's a big guy in the sky somewhere, we have a high moral code, everything's going to be okay. No, we have to receive Christ by faith alone. But as he closes off, the law has a very important place. The law is not bad. The law is good. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. The law is good because it has a place twofold. Firstly, it shows us we can never love to the law. If you just look at just, just the Ten Commandments, there's many other laws, but if you know some of those ones, we've all broken those. Not all of them, but we've all broken some of them. That's the point. It was in a sense God saying, you'll never reach perfect standard. That's why I'm showing you these. That's the first. But the second one is the fact that all of the laws, and even what Jesus spoke about the, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, it's not laws, but in a way it's Christian living. It's the way to live. The law is so good because otherwise society wouldn't function. All of those that we see, those laws and scriptures, so many of those is what our nations are built on in a healthy context because they're the way to live a healthy life. And so Jesus didn't come to destroy it and say it's pointless, but there was two important things. Number one, you will never fulfill the law. And number two, it does give you a great way to live. So as I close off, all that I want to do is pray. I just want to pray that we would understand and see the beauty and the wonder of Christ. If we know him here today, we would gaze upon that wonder all the more and we would live on the back of that. If we don't know him, we would place our faith in him, our trust in him that we've never done before. And so let's pray together. Let's invite God as we close this off. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have been looking at just the beautiful nature 
the wonderful nature, the powerful nature of you in stepping down to pay the greatest price possible, dying on the cross, so that your justice would be satisfied because you would pour out the, the wrath against sin on you, Jesus, but also your love would be demonstrated because you would be the blood on the doorpost that saves households. So right now I pray that if we are Christ followers today, that we would gaze in wonder again at the, the astounding nature of what it means to be a Christ follower, to be saved from our sin and to be made right with you, Lord Jesus. And today, if you're exploring faith, I want you to know that there's nothing special that you do. There's nothing out there or, or off the wall. You just say, Lord Jesus, thank you. I receive what you've done by faith. I want to place my trust in you for the outcome of a relationship with you and a payment of sin and life for all eternity. And in this moment, as you call on him, you'll be changed forever. So thank you, Lord Jesus, in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us for this uh, section of Romans. Again, it's, uh, it's just a, such a deep and rich book and what a, what a joy to go through it together. If you need any more information or you want to get in touch or you want prayer or anything else like that, we are here to serve you. We're here to help um, as best. We're all on different journeys of faith, but we want to be growing closer to Christ each day in every way possible. So thanks so much and have a brilliant week.